this episode, I sat down with Adam and Dan from It's a Mimic Podcast, and we spoke about streaming, podcasting, and we spoke about the game of D&D, so stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Roaming Player Gear. Roaming Player Gear is a tabletop gaming company that provides affordable and versatile tabletop gaming products. What I love about their products is that you can purchase any of their dice trays, dice towers, or any other products and use it across multiple gaming systems. For example, if you've been playing D&D for a while, but you now want to start playing Star Wars Legion, you can take the dice trays and dice towers that you've purchased and start utilizing it for Star Wars Legion. In addition to that, you can buy one of their dice trays or dice towers and still have room in your budget to purchase the core rule books or anything else you need for whatever system you're playing. Now, if this is something that is going to interest you and that you and your players are going to be able to utilize, I highly recommend going to roamingplayergear.com, link in the description, and use the code word roaming20 at checkout for 20% off your final purchase. Again, that's roaming, R-O-A-M-I-N-G, 2-0, to receive 20% off your final purchase. So today, folks, we have some awesome guests. Uh, we have It's a Mimic podcast, the hosts of a great podcast that I've been uh, following, at least on Instagram and on uh, Apple iTunes and whatnot, for y'all have been around for about three years now, right? Almost four? It's been a while, yeah. Well, no, we're coming up on three. We've just, uh, okay. just passed the two and a half mark. So. Oh, nice. I time escapes me, but I'm so glad that y'all are here. Appreciate it, man. Like y'all have been um, really great members of the D and D community, and I know that we've been trying to schedule this for a while. So I appreciate it. Um, but first and foremost, I want to make sure that I can, uh, for the folks out there that are listening, we can introduce ourselves. Um, so we have, if you're seeing this on YouTube, we have one gentleman by the name of Dan. And then you're going to notice one of the co-hosts, well, says that they're better Thanks. than Dan. Thanks. Yeah. 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 So um, I'm Adam. Uh, this is an ongoing thing that Dan and I do. We've got Facebook group chats for our D&D and Discord servers for our, our It's a Mimic podcast. All uh -huh. the different hosts and the people behind the scenes are all in there. And uh, Dan has had to wrestle away control of nicknaming things from me on more than one oh, occasion on more than one chat we've, we've got yes. close to like a dozen chats with the two of us involved between <laughs> you know the podcast stuff and uh work stuff mm -hmm. and uh one of the litany of D, D groups we're all in like there's been a few things where it's just like okay like calm down but um i mean it's not just that I've had to deal with this guy. I know this will come up. I've had to deal with this guy for more than 30 years at this point. So oh, no kidding. Uh, this, this is, this is something I've, I've had to build a thick skin for. <laughs> well, oh, well, okay. So tell me about that. So how long have y'all known each other? Well, I met Dan's brother through Boy Scouts when we were seven. Okay, I'm cool. 38 now. So I've known Dan by proxy. I mean, only for a couple of years, we had minimal interactions, but then, Dan's only a couple of years younger and he ended up graduating up into our level of Boy Scouts. Okay. And uh, then we ended up going to high school together and kicked it off from there. We've, we've kind of hovered in the same circle for a while. Like uh, there was a period there where we would see each other three or four times a year. 
because of Boy Scouts and because of the way we kind of grew up, we were all very involved with each other. Um, but okay. after we all, the post high school era, like we kind of hovered around each other, saw each other three, four times a year until we started a D&D group. Ah, uh, shoot. How long ago was that one with uh, Brad? Oh, um, oh God, probably 15 years ago. We started up yeah. a, a D&D group. But if I can be honest, Word. it wasn't really D&D. We no. built characters and we took our character sheets outside of our buddy's apartment and mm-hmm. we chain smoked cigarettes and theory crafted for eight hours. Yeah, we, we, we threw we threw okay. numbers at each other for for a couple of years there. Dude, and you then, guys sound like my friend. Um, once we, we did. <laughs> that's what we once we moved on we from that and got we literally did that with magic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We would buy it like oh my gosh we would buy it just like a carton and said screw it we're gonna talk and it went down to like oh if i build this deck dude you got we would all like hang out really well and we gotta make a trip so we got- <laughs> yeah. yeah but uh i guess it was what four or five years ago now adam mm-hmm. and I, I i i pulled in behind him completely random um in a tim hortons drive-through with him and his dad and uh tim hortons is a very popular coffee chain up here um because we're canadian for those who don't know us we are from um better america so uh we <laughs> we i pulled him behind him at a timmy's uh drive through and i sent him a little message and uh that came to him saying hey since we're talking i need another D player and i know you kind of like this D thing nice um and i'm like yeah i do kind of like it i am involved in three games i could fit another one in. i don't have a newborn oh wait no i have two but that's fine um (laughs) so i i came to play D &D and i mean now we have a podcast that's nearly three years old that has spawned on from that like terry was a part of that group and and um a couple of the other people that are on the podcast have Mm. come from there or previous groups like it's 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 become a thing so for the folks out there listening and watching Terry is the third host of the podcast, if I'm not mistaken. And Terry, um, you will all recognize his face. Hopefully I can put like an image so that, you know, doesn't feel left out. But, you know, um, so you three host uh, this the the podcast. However, did you start playing D&D in fifth edition or have y'all been playing just, you know, gone kind of throughout the editions? Like when did you all really start playing like tabletop games and D&D and whatnot? Well, okay, uh, let me let me handle this one. Dan, you you were AD&D way back in the day. You were playing at the age of like- I, I, I was AD&D, right. but I also played AD&D, yes. yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, I picked it up in 3.5. Sweet. Um, sweet. Uh, like late in that, which is why I say we did theory crafting. It was all, yeah. well, if I can take these prestige classes and pile them on top of this with the special meta magic nonsense, and it was just out of control back then. And then we uh, we each separately dabbled in fourth edition for a while. Okay. And then I met Terry through a group. He uh, actually responded to a Facebook group chat, I guess a post um, for a local game. So he joined up with me and uh, five others Okay. Uh, at that point. And so we started a game. And at this point, everybody else is gone. And it's it's me and, and Terry were the original ones from then. Gotcha. So, um, and then as they left, I needed to bring people in. So we brought in Dan. Um, okay. Just happenstance. And it's been um, one of my biggest regrets. <laughs> Stuck with me. No, uh, I I started with AD&D uh, uh-huh. and back then, like I was primarily a Magic the Gathering player and I did some of that too. And 
playing video games with my buddies and uh, D&D was just that thing that, hey, let's try this out. And I dabbled in AD&D. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't like a favorite hobby until third edition came out and I played third edition onto 3.5 and that six months like jump. Um, mm. And then we played heavily 3.5 for a long time. We dabbled in fourth, hated it, played Pathfinder. Played primarily Pathfinder for about five to eight years, something like that, a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then fifth came out mm. and um, my fifth came out and then Adam, I joined Adam's group because um, my other group had done like one or two little sample campaigns, but we were still firmly in Pathfinder. Mm -hmm. um, and fifth came out and Adam brought me on to his group. And that was really one of the first like full scale campaigns I did was with Adam nice. um, in fifth. And I mean, I still liked the books. I still read them, but they weren't my main focus. I didn't primarily Pathfinder. Yeah. Um, since then, I mean, I've dabbled in Pathfinder too. I've dabbled. How do you like it? I don't. I don't. I really don't. Um, yeah. I mean, Adam's always reminded me, hey, Dan, we talk about Dungeons and Dragons, not Pathfinder. But uh, Pathfinder 2 is very much, it is a game for players, whereas 5th edition is more a game for DMs, I find. So, you know, I, I think Pathfinder 2 is, or 2nd edition, is there for experienced players. Yes, yeah. 5th right. okay. edition is definitely there for DMs, especially casual players and new players as well. And that's one of the things that we like about it is how streamlined it is. But yeah. I mean, there's always a little bit more depth. And every time there's a new release, you can start stacking on sanity and honor and renown and piety. Yeah. And it's a different game. Yeah. Right. So it's consistently evolving, which we really like about it. But it never feels as complicated or dense as Pathfinder does. Yeah, I feel like Pathfinder, at least because I so I dabbled a lot in the earlier editions, um, especially throughout, you know, as a kid. I mean, my, my friends and I, we didn't, uh, we, I look back and we, I laugh because we didn't know shit about shit. Um, we played how we thought. And then yep. we, in college, I was, so around 2011 and 12, we were playing D&D then. I think that was, no, we were playing 3.5. I think we we're playing 3.5 or fourth. I don't remember. I, I don't remember, but I remember we played and I was like, okay, again, it was fun, but like I immigrant son here and immigrant mentality where it's like, I need to focus on school. Cause my parents will whoop my ass. Um, <laughs> like <laughs> that's just the way it is, even though like they support the hobby, but I got into Pathfinder because Right when I graduated, the local game store had Pathfinder Society. They didn't have a D and D, yeah. like they didn't have a lot of D and D. They had Pathfinder Society, so I was like, "Sweet, sounds good with me." I, I gotta say, the one thing that Paizo did very well with Pathfinder was Pathfinder Society and the integration yep. of that into the narrative. Yep. Adventures Guild is not the same. It's mm -hmm. not, and uh, Paizo definitely—they've definitely won out with that. I don't know how it looks in PF2. I haven't tried any of it in PF2 or recently, but back in the name, man, like well, I loved playing Pathfinder Society. 
that's what drew me back into. So, you know, you're talking about Magic the Gathering and I, around the same time, I got into Magic the Gathering. I never played, so I, I got into it. Or again, I never really played hardcore. So I got into it and I remember it was Monday. What was it? It was Monday, Wednesday, Friday was MTG. And then I think Pathfinder Society was like Tuesdays and Thursdays. So like every day of the week, I had something to play at my local game store and it was only five minutes away. So like, I was just like, cool. you know, I, I stacked it to the gills. So, but I bring that up because like, you know, as dungeon masters, I feel like we are able to cross often enough. We get to kind of like go on these different platforms and these different games and kind of learn like, oh, like I can take this from Magic the Gathering and use it as a source of inspiration for me, right? And I wonder, and this is a question I always love to ask, like when you started, you know, creating D&D content and when you started the podcast and whatnot, and even if you started just creating homebrew content, did you ever notice that thing, like games that you played in the past, whether it's Pathfinder, MTG, were those starting to kind of infiltrate in your writing or did you always just focus and kind of compartmentalize like saying, okay, MTG is MTG, D&D is this and Pathfinder is that? Uh, yeah, yes. For me, very much, yes. Okay. Um, we've actually got, I've, I've got this really cool story that actually happened with Adam's game. Um, and this this will be one of my like pro DM tips. If yeah. you have a bunch of veterans at your table, like people who have been playing D&D for a long time, you're on your third campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a recommendation. And I know big <laughs> names like Mercer does this, a critical role. He's done it a few times. And, yeah. and uh, we do it at our tables as well here. Adam did it to us with the big bad for pretty much the entire campaign world. And he has the mini for Lamash too who if you play Pathfinder, you would know Lamashtu is the god of monsters yeah. in the Pathfinder Galarian world, okay? So we're going through, we're playing this campaign, we're, we're going through the entire process and Adam's continually describing this mm-hmm. jackal-headed woman who is the aspect of death. And he puts the miniature on the table and that's when the point's connected for me. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's not Lamashtu. He's like, shut up, Dan. No, it's not, it's chick. And I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> but like- being able to surprise veteran players with unique mm-hmm. monsters that you've just pulled from Pathfinder, or you've yeah. pulled from I've I've pulled I've pulled monsters from like Shadowrun and yeah. uh, all, like past editions over. Um, I'm currently about to play a Furbolg Bard, and I oh. I struggle with the fact that the Furbolgs we have in Fifth Edition aren't the Furbolgs that I know from Second Edition. Yeah, like true. they're fey touched and thus smaller and a little bit they're more player friendly yeah, yeah, yeah. whereas the fur bulk that i remember are like basically vikings so it's yeah. um stuff like that has always influenced my my storytelling uh and i've seen it at the table as yeah, well. yeah one it's of the really things helpful. that i do i don't lean on really any other games necessarily i mm-hmm. look to movies and specifically books i know nobody else has read yeah um i i love to find weird little obscure things i have pulled plot lines out of stuff from like gravity falls because i know nobody else has um has paid attention to that but i had my my players fought actual cannibal shia labeouf at one time as well um and nobody saw it coming um so there i like i try to pull from pop culture 
but I know that very few people are familiar with the previous editions, especially um, like Monster Manual 2, Fiend Folio 2, and that's where I'll go digging. I've got a lot of uh, old books that I will go flipping through because even Dan will be like, this is not the same thing that it is in Volos. What is this? Why does it work differently? And I'm like, well, it needed to have an aura or I wanted it to be scarier or something. So that's kind of where I will pull my inspiration from is the deep dives from previous D&D editions because it's still all technically D&D. That's yeah, a, it's easy to port over thematically, right? As opposed to like actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf got well, freaking shoehorned. Well, 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 wait a minute though. Cannibal Shia LaBeouf might be the next BBG. Just saying. <laughs> that might be a really good BBG, folks. Um, <laughs> but no, that you bring up a good point. I don't, especially, and you know, let's kind of backtrack for a second. Fifth edition, as we said, streamlined. It did a really great job for the hobby where it streamlined and allowed new players to come into the hobby, right? You know, folks who have never played a tabletop game, fifth edition said, hey, here you go. And there's this cool thing called D&D Beyond. You can create a character in like, what, under 30 minutes or so, not even, Um and you can start playing. I think fifth edition did a great job and does a great job with balancing storytelling and uh, combat, right? It's not, we're not thinking, it's not like Warhammer combat, right? Because that's, you know, that's completely different, but it's, it's, it's easy to get into. But you brought something up though, where a lot of folks don't know the history of D&D and some of the books like the AD&D com- like class companion books or the player companion like the book of uh, the cleric book and or the paladin, the fighter, the um, pal yeah the paladin, the rogue, the priest because it wasn't a cleric necessarily it was the priest book. Um, those are books that I love that I pull from. I mean heck all the time because it's another option. It's like you said, Adam. It's D and D. It's still D and D. It's still gonna apply if you're run like so. Okay, so for example though, if you're running a homebrew campaign. Do you tell your players, hey, these are the options you have? Or do you kind of like hold that back and say, listen, you can play anything fifth edition, but I'm going to wait until you ask me if there's anything else to play. So how, like, how would you, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is how would you facilitate that? How would you facilitate other material being used um, for player character development or like story development? Well, it's funny you say that because we are about to kick up a campaign and Dan brought to me um, a, was it a background that you'd found online, Dan, that was kind of cool, but not quite right for the world. Like, I, whatever's fun. There's no wrong answer in D&D, right? As long as everybody's having fun and everybody's comfortable. True. Right? Um, I would say that for Dungeon Masters, the only other rule is be consistent. But other than that, there's no wrong answer. So um, if they want to bring something else in, I take a look at it. And if it's not balanced, we'll retool it. But as a general rule, anything Wizards has published is on the table. UA doesn't count for, for me because I'm not into playtesting. We do these big multi-year campaigns. Yeah. And to find out that it's not supported or it's yeah. going to get a rules update in yeah. like six months or whatever is not conducive to kind of the immersion that we deal with. Yeah. But when that. it comes to um, the homebrew stuff, with uh, I had a barbarian that was playing and he wanted to swap up his uh, subclass. I said, that's fine. 
makes perfect sense. You wanted to be a chieftain of a tribe. So we built a subclass called the chieftain. Okay. And it worked kind of like um, halfway between a zealot and a, a battlemaster fighter. Okay. So we kind of worked with the idea of he gets to tell other people what to do and be a general on the battlefield. Big fan of that. But we workshopped it for about five weeks, back and forth every day at work, sending messages to each other going, nice. no, 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 that's too overpowered. Well, the bard can do this. Yeah, but you're not a bard. So you do this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we're going back and forth. And I'm a big fan of negotiating. Talk to your DMs. Mm-hmm. I don't see any purpose in keeping secrets. These people that are like, oh, I was a changeling the whole time and not even the DM knew. You're just a toxic I'm not into that. (laughs) Yeah, it's collaborative storytelling. So let's work together. I'm your friend. Let's find consistency. And if Dan is some savior of the world, the God incarnate, and the rest of the players are just level two schmoes, that's not consistent, right? Yeah, and and that's the thing though. Like we are your friend. Like dungeon masters and the game master is supposed to be your friend. You're supposed to talk to them about hey, I have this idea that I, you know, even if it's like, hey, I'm the prince or princess of a long lost kingdom and I've left my throne, your dungeon master is going to work with you and do something that's really badass. Because again, like you said, it's collaborative storytelling. The dungeon master is there to kind of facilitate everything. Yes, the dungeon master tells their own version of the story. At least I believe the dungeon master tells us particular part of the story but the dungeon master is there to facilitate um the game obviously when it comes to rules and mechanics it's a collaborative storytelling game you sit down with everyone at the table and you tell a story together i don't understand and i guess that's a challenge that i would ask you all like what are some of the challenges that you faced as dungeon masters when you've had players who and i think dan you mentioned it like when they have, when they're kind of being toxic, when they're they're kind of having that butting of heads, so to speak, with the dungeon master. How do you overcome those challenges? Personally, I I have one rule at my tables, and it is it is the main rules, the golden rule around my tables, and that's just don't be a dick. You are a main character of this narrative. If you want to put it into literary terms. You are one of the protagonists. Yeah. You are not the protagonist. This story does not revolve around your character solely. This story revolves around the party and your character is an aspect of that. Play with that in mind. Now, there are going to be times where, you know, Russell's going to get a highlight and Jason's going to have to sit back and wait, but there's going to be times when Jason's going to get the highlight and Russell's got to take that that little bit of a backseat in the narrative. Now it's not saying you have to shut up and be quiet while I'm going one-on-one with Jason and everybody else is just watching. No, it's not that. It's still collaborative storytelling, Mm -hmm. but we're dealing with Jason's character's demons in this arc. This will be the next three or four weeks. And then we'll move on to whatever feels natural from there, right? True. this is one of the reasons why like, I really want players to give me backstories. I really want players to give me a lot of information about their characters before we even start. Like this is before session zero. I kind of want to have a lot of this stuff ironed out because if a player sends me a list and like Adam said, everyone's a Joe Schmo, but here is the hidden prince who has 
forsaken his uh, claim to the throne and grew up with heavy arms training and was the hero of several wars. And I'm like, buddy, you're level two. Yeah. So how about we dial that back a little bit? Because you're level two. You're not yeah. the hero of several wars. You you got in a good fight with some goblins once and came out victorious, right? Like it's not. Yeah. You I can mean, tell someone you're the hero of a long forgotten war in, yeah. in, in this forgotten kingdom, but you're level two. You can even do <laughs> so like, like a Don Quixote type um, where they, in their mind, yeah. they think that they're the the general and the hero of these massive wars but like you said it was just a good fight with a couple of couple of goblins but it's but you're right though like that you have to tone it down whether you take it from a mechanical or a storytelling perspective yeah interesting and i i have a i i get a lot of my conflict resolution strategies from Mm -hmm. being like raising uh being raised in the church and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. and then going through working in construction where i've had to have a lot yeah. of good conflict resolution skills there too, right? Yeah. So like, if there's a problem player at the table, I'm going to speak to them privately first. Yep. Yeah. Don't put that person on the spot right away. Speak yeah. to them privately. Agreed. If their problem is then not resolved, I will then, if, and this is assuming I'm a player, by the way, okay. I will then go to the dungeon master and be like, hey, can we do something about this? And again, privately with the dungeon master, not the rest of the table, address the yeah. issue, have a conversation. If that problem is still not solved, then we're looking at, you know, the entire table coming together and saying, hey, buddy, if you're not fixing this, you're not welcome. And if it's still not solved, then then we understand that you want to play. We understand what story you want to tell. That story does not fit with our table. It's nothing against you. It's just that story isn't working here. Go. And know what? If that is against that player, then just get out <laughs> like yeah you're um, not again we're out friends don't be a dick yeah you're not exactly the dirty yeah. laundry but you are cottering anything that could potentially spew into the other players because you don't want the other players to feel like shit you don't yep. want the other players to you know you don't want to dim your light or you don't want the other players to dim their light in order for someone else to shine brighter you want mm-hmm. everyone's light to be equal. Just sometimes that light's going to be, you know, shifted to the forefront depending on that character arc. So I really like that approach that you've taken. That's really cool. And that's a really good approach. One of the things that we did, uh, we had an episode, a couple episodes back to back, not long ago about uh, storylines. And we kind of hit the different plot points and conflicts and whatnot that you can use. We uh, leaned on some pretty famous um, uh, like literary uh, analysts and whatnot as well. And in the second episode, we broke down the idea of the hero's journey. The reason to bring this up is because how can you intertwine multiple heroes journeys, especially when you are dealing with say a published module. Yeah. The issue here is, is expectation nine times out of 10, when you got a problem player, it's because they think that they are the main character, like Dan said. And so in that episode, we started talking about the fact that if the party is the main character and the party is going on the hero's journey, everyone will be invested together. We're sitting there with a bunch of mature adults. Even if you look, even if you are a teenager or you are an um, a adult who is sitting down um, with, let's say, kids and DMing and whatnot, yeah, DMing seven-year-olds is a is a trial. I've done it. It's a trial. But the idea here is that it's structured. There's some yeah. general basic rules and common denominators. 
And the good of the party and the overall storyline needs to be that common denominator. Mm -hmm. And so when people start to make it all about them, it's because they don't trust that they're going to get enough of the spotlight. For me as a dungeon master, when I start to see that spotlight hogging, I say, okay, this person's feeling like they're bored or they're not being heard enough or someone else is getting too much of the spotlight. And I, as a dungeon master, will get involved. I spend most of my sessions listening. Most mm -hmm. of my prep work and, and my random encounters and all that, it's all thought of, even my random encounters, the tables I make are well thought out ahead of time to be level appropriate, environment appropriate. And okay, I'm going to have this one to be like a stealthy kind of ambush. And this one's going to be a evidence of a murder and so on and so forth. And I've done all of that prep work ahead of time. So all I have to do is listen and react honestly as possible in these imaginary circumstances. If I can do that, I'm aware of what all of my players are, are feeling, what they're saying, what they're not saying. And that gives me the ability to, to plan for the next session to rebalance. That's the wonderful thing about DMing is there's so much going on. You have so many plates in the air that some are going to start to topple. And that's okay if you see them toppling ahead of time and you can course correct. And that's, that's it. DMing is about listening. It's not about controlling. That's why we're on, the, our, on our podcast, we are very anti-adversarial dungeon mastering. We're there to be the ref, to facilitate the good times, and to lose the battle <laughs> right True. we are there to lose so why are other people feeling like they're losing man that's a really good point you as dungeon masters if we win the battle something is off because we're the players are supposed to win they're they're the heroes of that adventure plural <laughs> heroes you know yeah yeah the party needs to win the party is the hero which is why i'm a big fan of um, naming the party, right? We had our last campaign was the party was called the, the was it forbidden. forbidden. Yeah. The one before that, it was the liberation order. Like they all have a name so that they can identify together. That way when one character dies, it's okay. The liberation order is still going strong. We'll bring someone else in to replace them when that player rolls up a new character, right? All of those NPCs, all of those fates and plots and prophecies mm -hmm. and, and personal issues with monsters and villains and whatnot, they're all still alive. It didn't end just because your character died because the group is still alive. So quick question, um, kind of pertaining to that. At what level do you suggest naming the party or do you weave it into the story or kind of do you take like a hybrid approach? How, what, what's your take on that? Well, for the forbidden, I straight up said, you guys are going undercover and we need you guys to come up with a fake gang, name it so that we can put graffiti around the town. And so they come up with a forbidden. Cool. The liberation order, however, was um, there. I floated about seven or eight different names or different NPCs were calling the group different things. You're our saviors or you are the order that liberated us. or you are the, the freedom fighters of the realm. And so they had all these different names. And I waited to see which one people liked. And when the players grasped onto one, that's the answer. Gotcha. Okay. That's a good way to do it because you're not necessarily forcing it upon them, but you're introducing it and kind of testing the waters with that. I think a lot of times dungeon masters uh, and players often wonder, okay, you know, we look at shows like Critical Role and we say, okay, like we, we know it's a professional level you know tier one right that 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 top tier um stream that 
you know, they're on it, right? And I think oftentimes like we see that and we're like, well, how do we mimic that? How we, you know, no pun intended, but how do we mimic that? How do we, uh, uh, listen, man, I'm trying to come up with the good dad jokes. My wife and I found out, you know, we're having our baby. So like, got to come up with the dad jokes, man. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, It's probably the first time I've talked about it on the podcast. Uh, Is it your first kid or? First kid, man. I've I've already. Sleep now. Sleep now. Yeah. Sleep now. Yeah, trying to. Uh, <laughs> it, it's funny because like, you know, kind of going into this tangent where it's like, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, Dan, that you, you know, had two newborns, I believe when you were. I've, I've got I've got twin girls who are now seven years old and I've got another little boy who's four. Wow. Um, who uh, was more work than the twins, um, is more work than the twins. Um, he's just a bundle of energy. And I've, I've never been a very high energy person. So, mm-hmm. um, he, he really, he, he knows how to leave us running ragged. So, um, I love my kids. Absolutely adore them. My girls want to play D and D with me at every single moment. Um, That's Adam's it, dude. Adam's played in the campaign as the illustrious Mr. McCaw. And now my kids want uh, at Eric Hoker, what were you, a ranger? A rogue? I was a ranger. The illustrious yeah. Mr. McCaw was an Eric Hoker. Yeah. Uh, so I have my girls. It's been like two months since we've played. And my girls are mm-hmm. like every single day are like, hey, when are we, when, when can we figure out what's going on with the illustrious Mr. McCaw? And I'm like, man, the, the, the head for kids for d d It's, it's great. Um, but yeah, get, congratulations, but get your sleep. You'll, you'll need <laughs> thank, thank you man I'm, I'm hopefully um you know during this time of preparation and whatnot i was talking to my wife and i was like man like you know we need to prepare the nursery and all this stuff and it's like i need to move all my gaming stuff because where mm. the nursery is is where all my gaming things are at my books my minis so i'm just like well this would be a good way to subtly introduce my you know our daughter because we're having a baby girl into just by like imagery right like hmm maybe not put a beholder right there that might scare her but (laughs) just so if no get the little plushy there's a plushy xanathar you could buy oh Oh, no 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 no. you're thinking about it wrong you need the mobile and every one of the stocks is a different beholder there you go see that's That's like genius Dude, you're thinking in 3021, bro. Like you're, this is the future, man. Um, no, but it's funny that like, you know, going off from that like tangent, it's like bringing players, no matter what age, like you really have to say like, hey, this is your story. Like you got to empower them. And I see that a lot with um, with dungeon masters and players alike too. Cause right, you know, you've, you've gotten DMs, I'm pretty sure about this. I know I've gotten DMs where it's been like, hey, like, I'm trying to, we're trying to play this way, but this isn't happening. And it's like, every time I ask, it's like, well, this particular player, this individual is causing this. Have you talked to them? Crickets, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you got to be respectful. I, I would challenge every person who listens to the, sh- to the show, talk to that individual. You might not, they might not even know that they're doing something to annoy you or to cause mayhem or whatever in your game so if you talk to them they might say oh i'm sorry man i didn't even know i was doing that like okay cool just let me know if i do it next time no problem or you have people like talking about pathfinder society man we had one person that like it got to the point where he was bullying other people because he thought he wanted people to play a certain way 
And I remember this kid was 16 at the time, dude. He had just, he had never played tabletop. This kid was nervous because he was with a bunch of random people never met. I remember the other guy and I remember it clear as day. The other guy like chewed him out for not moving and uh, using his attack or something like that. And then the kid was like, well, I got to go. My mom's here. Cause like he didn't drive like here in North Carolina, right around 16, you get your license, but that can take a while. Oh, it's a process here too, man. It's a process here. Yeah. So I was just like that behavior is like that tox. It's a toxic player at the end yeah. of the day. Um, but again, like, I feel like when you're and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you're choosy of your players and you say, okay, like, Hey, like you kind of vet your players to say, Hey, listen, like, these are the rules. These are the ground rules. If you can't, if you don't feel like agreeing to them, you might need to look for another game. That's just me though. I kind of do session that. Session zero. Yep. Like session, this, session zero. Yep. Uh, look, right. If, like if I, can, if I can just for a second, a little anecdote. Um, go for it. Uh, when I first started playing with Terry in that group, there were only two of us at the table that had any sort of experience with D and D at all. Mm. And I had not played fifth edition at that point. So I was coming in relatively new as well. So we're all learning the mechanics and working our way through it. And one of the other characters there, the, the guy who knew um, the mechanics and whatnot, was starting to get real, like, in people's faces. No, you can move 30 feet. Why are you only moving 20, right? And it was that kind of nonsense, and he was mm. consistently coaching. And the best shutdown I have ever, ever seen at a table was when Terry had just enough of the shit, and he closed his binder, he put his hands in his lap, and he just square-faced the guy and said, I'm sorry I'm having fun wrong. Would you like to play my character? And just shut that shit down. It was beautiful. And fortunately, that player had enough maturity to realize, oh, shit, that's what I've been doing. And apologize. And we all laughed about it. But anytime there was coaching now at, at the table, it's, hey, uh, are you having fun wrong? And I'm like, oh, right, right, right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's okay. So, but I'm that's, glad you were able to make that into a positive, though. I can't I can't take any credit for that. That was, that was those two guys working through it. It, it Terry's got this way of, of putting you in your place while also being your friend, right? He skirts that line um, pretty well. So um, Terry's a good guy, man. I haven't talked to him in a while, but he's a good guy. Like it's especially like he, he will. And, and the thing is like all respect to him because he'll call he'll, I've noticed that in the community, he'll call people out in a very good way, but sometimes you need to do that. I have never met anybody in my entire life who is so aggressively encouraging. Yes. Oh, well, hold on now. See, we've got, uh, there are five other hosts on the show now as well. We have quite the cast of characters. Um, We've got multiple shows and like, we've been doing this two and a half years and have well over 200 episodes at this point. So we go gangbusters. It's only Dan and I running behind the scenes. So we've got other guys doing a lot of the recording. Brad is aggressively positive as well. He's another one yeah. on our table. Um, but he is um, he's not just positive, he's encouraging. He wants awesome. literally everyone to have the best time always. And like we've got such a good group of mature adults. I don't know how I ever played D&D with 20-year-olds. <laughs> now that I'm playing with people in their mid-30s, it is a radically different scenario. Alcohol, Adam. The answer to your question was alcohol. Is alcohol? That's right. Yeah. It's the to every question. <laughs> that is that is very true. And and actually, I would like to ask you that. So how? Well, not about the alcohol, but <laughs> about no bourbon, uh, just bourbon. <laughs> hey, you know what? This isn't bourbon, but it can be filled with it. 
Um, I can go grab it really quick. No. So, <laughs> so when did you start the podcast and like what made you want to start the podcast in the first place? <laughs> All right. So Dan and I. We, uh, masochism? Yeah, right. That's what it feels like now. Dan and I, we were carpooling together. Uh, and of course, Dan has all this D&D experience and I was DMing, right? And so we were always talking about the campaign, driving for up to 40 minutes to get to Terry's house to actually play on the weekly basis. We were sitting there talking and I had been tossed around the idea of a philosophy-based podcast with Dan's brother actually for a number of years, but nothing ever materialized. We just couldn't commit to it. So Dan and I said, yeah, you know, we should do a podcast someday. And I, I talk about it at length. I'm like I've done a little bit of research into that. And what do you think about this? And we would need to get mics and so on and so forth. So then as we are leaving that night, like eight hours later, we are leaving. And as we are walking out the door, Terry goes, guys, we're really good about this. And we got some good charisma and banter. We should do a podcast. And Dan's eyes just lit up. Nice. And, and, uh, and he's like, Adam will do pre-production. I'll do post-production and Terry will do the marketing. And there we go. All we have to do is just rant about D&D for an hour once a week and it'll be a load of fun. Um, little did we know. Well, I've, I've got a background in uh, like sound tech and oh, stuff sweet. like that. I, I, I am a musician. I play bass. I sing. Sure. I do. I play guitar. Um, the, so I, I have all this experience when it comes to like run. I, I, when I said like churches and stuff and, and being part of the church was something I did a, uh, a lot of and do a lot of. Um, and mm -hmm. one of the ways I serve the church is I, I often am the sound guy. I'm the guy who is like running yeah, mics man. and yeah. running the soundboard, doing all that stuff, running yep. lights, everything. So yep. when they came to the post-production, I was like, Been yes, there, I can. Been there, dude. I have never met a person who's got a more organized mind than Adam. Oh, nice. Well, I used to teach acting to children. My job- Which was... which translates very well into d and I got to say. It, it kinda does, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, so <laughs> basically you were meant for this. Yeah. Well, I, I was teaching film acting to kids. So it was 50% improv and 50% scripted. And then I'd have to write scenes. There's no such thing. You think about children's movies. I would, I defy you, defy you to name more than 20 children's movies where both main characters are children. It's always a kid and an animal or two animals or an adult and a kid, yep. or this one's a fairy and that one's a cow. Or so like, it's always just utterly bizarre. These ones are toys. Those guys are monsters. How many and Mary Kate and Ashley movies are there? Oh There's my like God, I, I have 32? sat down. Yeah, but even like Parent Trap, because I have transcribed that, even that is them dealing with adults and fooling the parents over and yeah. over. They're only in the True. same scene like four times. So I was writing this stuff for them. Little Rascals? Little Rascals is one of them, but again, two-person scenes. That's what I'm saying. Right. It's it's not, it's still, it still uses the formula of like two individuals at a time. Interesting. Yeah, you, don't, you don't have those large ensemble kid movies. It's well, you like have, you've got the Mighty Ducks and it, it's all sports movies, right? And when 50% of your, of your class is girls that are seven years old that could not give less of a shit about the Sandlot from 1990-whatever. Right. Killing me there's smalls. Nothing, yeah, there's nothing for them to grab onto. And I'll be damned if I'm spending time watching Disney Channel programming, right? That's just not going to be something that I do. So I was <laughs> writing a bunch of stuff. So that turned into to doing uh, homebrew campaigns. I'm like, I've already got True. NPCs and coming up with characters on the fly was easy enough for me. Well, then when it came to podcasting and wrangling people and what are we going to talk about today? And here's a basic breakdown. Dan says I'm organized. I just translated what I was doing already. 
and with Dan's expertise and Terry's, he's a marketing guy. That is his thing. So it all just lined up really nicely for us for a little while there. <laughs> then COVID hit. Terry took a bit of a hiatus to focus on uh, his own um, small business. All right. And so uh, he kind of went off on, uh, on that tangent, but he's back. We're all working together again. We're really moving. Like things are, are, yeah, are really working out nicely again. So we've, we've refound, rediscovered our, uh, our stride here. That's awesome. It took the right people and the right jobs. And I mean, Dan will tell, Dan will say, Adam needs to delegate more. Because I will just wrestle shit away from people and say, "All right, I will do it my way." Because this is the organized way and whatnot. Yeah, having a having a good team is so important. Which that's I was going to ask too. Well, sorry, Dan, go for it. Well, I was just going to say, like, uh, one of the ways that this is uh, really shown for us is now our crew is kind of massive. We have multiple editors on board. We have uh, guys who just do music for us. We have, I mean, there's me. Adam, Terry, Megan, Brad, uh, Dave, James, Kyle. Those are all our regulars. We yeah. Have Jeff and Pepperina from. Uh, I love her, man. She's gonna. She's a guest on the show next. Oh, oh awesome! Yeah. So I love she's her. Been on a number of our episodes, and is going to be on more. <laughs> Prepare <like> yourself. <laughs> Race for impact. <laughs> yeah. But there is there is no greater agent of chaos than Pepperina Sparkle Gem. I I swear to God. I she we played together in the Evermore campaign that got DM, dude. It's well that game is pretty insane. But she she is shout out to Pepperina man. She's she, she's just an awesome human being. I I don't understand how she does what she does. She's like, like she's a successful show. businesswoman. She's got like twelve shows, yep. eighteen projects. She paints. She crafts. She. And she's got kids. And she's got kids. Well, and I, like, think, I think that's it, though. She's an entrepreneur. Like, yeah. you know, a lot of folks out here who either are entrepreneurs or have the entrepreneurial spirit do really well with balancing all those things, right? Because yeah. um, I know, like, in I remember, again, my you know, parents being immigrants and stuff like that, when I told them that I started a business around my nerd loves and hobbies, they were like, what? You're going to make money from D and i was like you bet your ass i will i didn't say that because again my mama would whip the shit yeah. out of me <laughs> Gee, dude i'm telling you man cuban mamas oh the sandals coming off and you're running yeah yes thank you someone else knows it the chancleta <laughs> comes out and it's like a boomerang but it has like the thing is it's like it's always a successful hit oh yeah always yeah one of my, one of my buddies growing up was cuban and like his mom was just a marksman with that thing, dude. Like, a, I'm not even joking. Across the room, over the couch, so like fun. just beamed them. I have no to this day. Yep. I have no idea how she managed that shot. I gotta I'm ask. Is it, is about it a D6 a or a D8? Oh, it's a D10. Oh yeah, D10 all the way, dude. Yeah. Uh huh. D10 bludgeoning damage, and then yes. you're like, you're probably gonna take some like charisma damage just from shame. Oh yeah, there's vicious mockery on top of that. Yeah disadvantage on your next hit yeah no so i'm ac- i've actually thought about creating a uh, a subclass or like a class dedicated for my mom which is like cuban mother or something i don't know but the weapon would be like chancleta that would yeah. be it you, you, you need the class to be mom and then you can have all the different stereotypical Ooh, moms like you've got yeah, the camera mom and you've got the cuban mom and you've got the mm-hmm. helicopter mom and like you can have different subclasses of of all right yeah <laughs> 
sparked me now. I'm gonna uh, maybe this will be an uh, uh, maybe this is gonna be it's a mimic bearded nerd uh, collaboration. collaboration. Yeah. The mom handbook. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think we're we're uh, able to write a mom handbook. No, no, no but something. we can we could perhaps oh, we could do a dad clap. That would be fun. Just saying proficiency in grilling mm. <laughs> and then have like the nice new balances or whatever. Um, that oh, gives yeah. you like plus 10 to like stealth or some shit. Uh, a glare attack. Ooh, yeah. I'm yeah. oh vicious mockery. I'm just dis- I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> or uh, even- yeah, as a bonus action, you can pun and give inspiration to one person. <laughs> or disadvantage to one person. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then oh, like a hero's feast. They could be like, hey, set your clothes out early. You know, you'll get you'll be better prepared tomorrow. <laughs> Mm, mm, I'm we might have something. We might though. have something here, yeah. We may have something. <laughs> but anyway, so before I go off into parenting classes uh, and subclasses, so like so you started this and now the podcast has grown. Yeah. What has been some of the focuses that you've wanted to take or the approaches that you've wanted to take? Especially like as I feel like as a podcast. You grow organically and you develop organically. You might have started, let's say your goal was to do this. And now in your podcast, it's maybe this. How did you navigate those growths? And how did you navigate the natural desire to want to kind of move in a direction yet stay true to your core? Uh, Well, with Adam and I, uh, one of the ways we kind of, let's say, refined our focus Mm -hmm. was we had like three or four uh, false starts. Okay. Um, we we started a couple different projects that had different focuses. Could you and... explain a false start for some folks? Okay, so one of our false starts was Dan and I recorded four episodes where we were um, going to be. Um, it, it was called Town Time. That was that was what it was called. Um, and I still have all the breakdowns and and the original recordings of them. Someday we'll dig those out and be horribly embarrassed. But a the audio quality was terrible. You okay. don't you if you're gonna do a podcast, even if you're going to do a video, you're gonna do a YouTube show. The number one piece of advice that I have is nobody gives a shit about what's going on in the background or the graphics or if you've got little icon. Nobody cares if they cannot hear you. Your True. audio quality has to be solid. And there's some old episodes that we have where it's not great. Yeah, it's and not. So, it's not stellar. Um, yeah. One of the things that we did was we. Uh, we upgraded our mic early on. We realized that we're just not going to have any sort of success with this the way that it is. We tried lapel mics for a little bit. That didn't work out. But our big thing was our level of scope. We wanted to have music in the background and we wanted to have tavern noises going on as mm-hmm. we're sitting there talking because it's town time. And the idea was that we're, we are going to be a group of adventurers that are in character talking about D&D stuff from a, an in-world idea that oh hey this dragon has really thick dragon scales it's almost like his armor class is 21 right Mm. and so we were gonna try to do that and then we realized we were muddying the water and overcomplicating it keep it simple stupid yeah and that that really did refocus us and then we've been able to dabble with some of that stuff later on our turning the multiverse series yeah has after credits bits where um and the uh, hosts of the series go into the world into whatever campaign setting yeah, and we walk also, to a market there right? we also started one that was like uh and we i think we recorded maybe three or six episodes like it wasn't much but 
one of the things that Adam and I, uh, when it comes to D&D, one of the passions we both share is world building and specifically yeah. campaign building. Um, so uh, we have a show called Campaign Builder on It's a Mimic that is the furtherance of that. But before It's a Mimic was even really a thing, we had this building of camp, uh, campaign world where we talked about uh, building our own homebrew campaign setting. So what is our pantheon? Why is our pantheon like that? Yeah. What is the geography like? Why is yeah. the geography like that? Um, so we've we've really taken that idea and put it into Campaign Builder, which because of COVID had to take a bit of a hiatus. For sure. Um, and there's but, only so much time that you can allot towards things and manage it in a certain way, I can only assume. Yeah, yeah. Well, well I mean- the, the other thing that we have- almost kicked off a couple of times now dan is actual plays yeah and cool uh, and it's always going to be homebrew right like that's always the plan and dan straight up developed a 12-part mini series where we would have all of the different hosts come in and play characters and he was going to dm and just the logistics of setting aside the time to do that on top sure. of the regular show and whatnot our biggest concern is time constraints there yeah. are only so many hours in a week yeah that's and, true and that's the other thing if you're going to start a podcast you better be ready to say if it's a two and a half hour episode and I want to get in there and edit, like sometimes it's just open discussion, right? Especially yeah. on Twitch and stuff like what we're doing right now. It's, it, it's not as heavily edited as our stuff is. We cut out a lot by necessity because Dan has a filthy mouth, but um, yes, I'm, I'm the problem. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but we edit pretty heavily and it takes us what, Dan, four hours for an hour and a half episode. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can... COVID messed up a lot of that. And like, for, if for you're COVID, doing, yeah, for COVID, we had different people coming in with different segments and we were editing all that together and it took a two hour episode is taking us 14 and a half hours to produce. Wow. So it was, yeah. It, it was, it was taking some time. So, uh, for the like, general rule of thumb is for every minute of podcasts, expect to spend two minutes editing. Yeah. Right. So, um, if you have a, if you have this grand ambition to do a four hour podcast once a week, congratulations, you've given yourself a part-time job. Yeah. You're going to be, you're going to yeah. be spending a long time on that. And, um, and even beyond the the editing, you've got show notes that you got to write up. You need to know yep. which hashtags to use. You have to have enough hashtags to be able to cycle through them so that you don't piss off the Instagram or the TikTok algorithm. It's shadow banned it's or something. Shadow yeah. banned, right? Which happened to us. Yeah. We're not getting, we're not, I think we're now climbing back out of that. Um, that kind of happened about to me recently with the newest update. I was, I didn't know, I, I forgot about it and i just put a lot of hashtags because it was like letting me comment twice and it posted it twice i was like what the hell yeah it's great it's but great. i mean we've got to uh we've got a couple hey, of artists on. on board now to help us out with um some of the artwork because oh legit yeah we found it exhausting to come up with an instagram post as well as do the editing and yep preparation i mean all of our our episode breakdowns are four pages long those don't write themselves right everyone Dude, the i people... hear you man i hear you i like i i do all my instagram i do all my twitter i do most of my twitch except like the overlays like i have friends that uh have done it for me i do 99 percent of all the work and it's not because i don't want others to help it's just like you know and you all know this it's your baby like yeah. you That's have, why Dan, yeah. Dan and I, we, we keep the tight reins on this. Yeah. Um, I, because we always talk about Adam did the prep work, Adam set it up, Adam did the pre-production. <laughs> right. And that's a common theme on the, like Dan, I think you say that in every third episode, 
right? Well, when you were prepping this, Adam, what did you think? Yeah. Right? And so I get this reputation of this is Adam's brainchild and it's not. Dan and I are like, we sit down and come up with the general loose ideas of what's going on. Every once in a while I'll say, hey, Dan, I want to talk about this this week. He goes, fucking why? Right. And he'll, and he'll like <laughs> knock me down a peg. Yeah. I get some big ambitions and Dan's like, no, no, no. How much time? Who's doing that project? Yeah. My, yeah. my big question is, all right, so who's doing that then? Yep. Um, and so like we've got a bunch of people and everybody's got a different perspective on D and D different True. experience levels, which is really useful. We've got um, people all across the spectrum. It's not just a bunch of white Canadian males uh, that are middle-aged. Like it's, it's good to see a little bit more of it, it blown wide open. Um, and one of the big challenges that we've run into as much as I love how we are expanding, man, admin and scheduling is a pain in the ass. Yeah. And I did not expect to be running 15 calendars for different shows that are coming out at different times, making sure that this person has that book available to them to do their research yeah. so that we can cover this topic. And like, we just did a, we recorded a Dragonborn episode that hasn't come out yet. Nice. And we just found out that there's a new Dragon book that's coming yep. with new Dragonborn in it. So there's going to be a Dragonborn part two episode coming eventually. It right? is. I just finished prepping uh, six different breakdowns to cover Matt Coville's gem dragons just to find out that the gem dragons are coming in this new book as well. The yeah, it's uh, so, Fizzbands, Treasury of Dragons. It's coming out in yeah. October, um, right around my anniversary. So therefore, I have to get it for my anniversary. Honestly, I'm looking forward rules. to it too because Fizzband is a Dragonlance character as well which this makes makes the og dragon lance yes. fan happy i listen i i forgotten realms it's cool i don't have a problem with it drag give me dragon lance which i think this is their way of inching into it yeah right? this yeah. is their way of kind of introducing it because then now they're gonna start i think this is this is this is me if i was if i was a fortune teller so to speak or if i saw the analytics i think that especially like they got over, there was a lawsuit and there was a bunch of stuff that I think was resolved. But the point is, I think this is an introduction. Now, personally, I would love to see Dragonlance in fifth edition. I would love to see Spelljammer. I'd love to see Dark Sun. I'd love to see, um, what was the other one? Oh man, it's on the tip. I'll probably- I'm I'm of the opinion that the day we get uh, Spelljammer is the day that fifth edition jumps the shark and I'm waiting for sixth. Mm. That's, that's, that's just my opinion. I look, yeah. Okay. I hear where you're coming from on that because it's going to be a little bit different. I would rather have Planescape than Spelljammer. Yeah. Um, I honestly, I don't think this is going to be, this is going uh, to be a uh, Dragonlance at all. This like is... you don't think it's going to be the catalyst to it? Okay. No. I mean, you look at the fact that Ghost of Saltmarsh and Tash's Cauldron and everything we're supposed yeah. to be Greyhawk, but they're yeah. sitting there in the Forgotten Realms. Right? Not to mention Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. Like, right? <laughs> and then it's from a very specific got, place. You've yeah. got Ravenloft, which is a campaign setting, by the way. Yeah. That book is also in the Forgotten Realms or Forgotten Realms adjacent as well, True. right? So there Probably. doesn't seem yeah. to be, with the exception of Eberron and the Magic of the Gathering settings, Yeah, I don't think that they're going to differentiate or introduce. They will handpick. This is going to be what happened... All right, I I love comic books. Comic books are a huge source of inspiration for me. Big epic storylines yeah. with small casts of characters. They're yeah. just set up to be D&D, &D, yes, right? So I absolutely love them, especially the old school stuff nobody's up to date on. But we have seen all sorts of multiverses that have split off only sure. to be 
retconned back together. And they don't retcon it to say, oh, hey, this makes sense. They just cherry pick the shit that they like and say, here it is in this world. We're not going to explain it. Just accept it and come up with your own headcanon. Gotcha. That's what we're seeing with fifth edition, right? Gotcha. Where they're going to give us all of the Mordenkainens and Fizzbands and, and Tashes that we yeah. want. But I, until we actually get a campaign setting book, I'm mm. not holding my breath. And I don't think that we are going to get a proper one because it's either Magic the Gathering or Planeswalking, it looks like, right? Because we've got Feywild. My or... only my only argument against that one would be the fact that they put in so much work to fix the legal struggles. They wouldn't have put in so much work to fix the legal struggles now, if I'm they not... didn't intend to make some money out of the product. I am not so certain that the legal troubles were nearly as bad as everybody makes them out to be. Okay, I, they were. No, they were. A, do we know how it ended? Because I was settled. So the, the, it was a. It, it, they settled. They settled out of court. Yeah. But I saw some interesting rumors online um, on Reddit specifically that said uh, this kind of smells a little bit like a whole marketing scheme because mm. nobody was ever out of pocket to a lawyer mm. the way that it all worked out. And so I don't. I don't know, man. Like some of the and some of the a, discussions from Weiss and Hickman. Release date. Not a single release date was pushed back, as far as I'm aware, right? So this just seems like a way to get Dragonlance back on people's minds. And Hickman or Weiss, um, I've got some strong opinions. Yeah, strong listen, opinions. listen, man, this is this is a neutral area. This is new. We're Switzerland, baby. We're good. <laughs> um, so there will be people that yell about this, but I'm going to say it. Um, I think that Hickman and Weiss are uh, too savvy, and I dare say conniving for me to not be suspicious. I think that they're decent um, at writing, and I like Dragonlance well enough. I don't think that Wizards of the Coast is going to get into bed with them the way that they got into bed with Keith Baker. And even that was for one UA release and then a publication. He True. still had to go release Exploring Eberron on his own, out of his own pocket. So they came to an agreement, but he was never really supported and backed up outside of a single book. And I think that that's what we're going to get here is the single book. Yeah, but be... the single book with Keith Baker was an Eberron book. And well, there's two Eberron books in fifth edition. No, it's just the one. There's Rising from the Last Lore. Uh, and then there's the Wayfarer's Guide, isn't there? The Wayfarer's Guide was UA. And it was it was an unofficial PDF that was overwritten by oh, okay. last, uh, Rising of the Last War. Anything that was published in the Wayfarer's Guide is no longer canon, apparently. See, I'm unfamiliar with a lot of this because i i stick to so much homebrew that i almost yeah. put myself in that kind of in the the rain I, I put myself in those like blinders or rains or whatever where it's just like oh my world of acopia is this and how can i do this like and there's also i also, I also love a lot of third party products so like yeah. adventures in middle earth that fifth edition compatible book was yeah. in my opinion great because one of the things that it emphasized was okay in a low magic setting how would the world how would how are players going to interact with the world so like they give rules for like difficult terrain especially like if you're in a swamp you have difficult terrain you're in a swamp and if you're a halfling or a hobbit now it's not even just difficult terrain it's like your movement speed is like i think it's like a quarter movement speed it's crazy um so i got into those books a lot and also like kind of like what you said earlier adam where you took things from like movies and whatnot and books that people have never heard. I took a lot from the book series, The Dwarves by Marcus Heights. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. 
fantastic book series german author i believe if you really like dwarves and the and the like the culture of dwarves check out that book because it's fantastic and elves like the elves are not they're not great people as uh <laughs> lore have made it to be just yeah i was really surprised when i was digging into fifth edition even in fifth edition where everybody's happy and friends and and we're seeing that being streamlined now where nobody's evil and everybody's happy. Mm. Elves are sad, very lonely individuals that do not like, they're xenophobic. Elves are not the pretty happy people that every new player thinks they are. Nope. This is not Legolas by any means. No. And even then the elves, technically the elves in, in the Tolkien verse are sad because they are not meant for that world. Yeah. yeah. So there's a real sorrow to them that I think a lot of players miss. So personal sidebar really quickly here. My girlfriend lives in Maryland and I live on the West coast of Canada. So we haven't seen each other for 18 months because of the pandemic. We we were almost 600 days. Anyway, she showed up last week. She finally got uh, able to, we got special permission from the Canadian government. She was able to fly in and uh, she's COVID free. We had to do a bunch of tests. She's got That's the vaccination. Awesome, dude. Yeah, so super happy about that. She had never seen Lord of the Rings. And so we sat down and watched the extended edition of Fellowship of the Ring. Ooh, how's she doing? Literally last night. And she's like, that was good. That was fun. When are we going to watch the next one? Yes! Yes! I'm winning this. So that was a, that. look, when you hit your late 20s, early 30s, and you realize that there's this whole big nerd scape out there that you have no idea what it is it's like for me at this point i'm never going to get into babylon 5 i'm curious oh, dude, what i've never done dude. I, I hear I'm you i so hear good it's too big it, it's but, but i hear you you feel like okay Gee, michael it. straczynski at his best i know so man. good if, i've seen ds9 i've seen babylon 5 i feel okay i get what you're saying bitch <laughs> but i will say this though i will say this yolo it bro Screw it. Yeet yourself into something. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'd, like no. to, I'd like to point out Babylon 5, I believe, is on Amazon Prime right now. It is. It is. It is. Um, my wife, okay. So since we're talking about uh, significant others and shoddy tastes in entertainment, my wife is making her way through Andromeda right oh, now. Oh. The Kevin Sorbo in space. Oh, man. Did you guys hear he went uh, a little nuts recently? Yes, but right, anyway, he chose to go with Andromeda over Babylon Five. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's that's a that's a weird one. But it's like I'm curious about Stargate SG One. I don't have 13 years of content to go through for the Stargate universe. Okay, so I love it. But. Okay, so if we're gonna talk about that. I had scabs, right? Like, let's let's get yeah. Let's pick, let's pick them all, dude. Let's pick. Once I completed my Star Wars Legends book series, which I had to reclaim because I went. Well, an old an old friend of mine, let's just say, had half my collection at their house. Yeah, and it and I found this collection through like garage sales, like half price books, like intact. Right, like some of these legends books that go for like fifty bucks. Yeah, found them for like fifty cents. Nice. And I had to, you know, do all that. You know, no hard feelings or anything, right? Uh, <clears throat> but now, small, like small, small hard feelings. <laughs> just that tiny bit. Um, but no, like all the 
all the Star Wars legends that I and that I've read and gone through and just like manuscripts. It's like, oh well, that's not here you go, just trash it now because it's not canon. So it's like, well, now I had to refigure like all that stuff out. But going back to like lore and whatnot, my wife, huge Harry Potter fan. You know, she's an English teacher as well. So it really well, not only Harry Potter, but like the Percy Jackson series, which I actually think is a really good series. Um, especially from, I I blew my wife's mind the other day where I'm like, you realize it's Perseus, right? Like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's, it's just the Iliad. Like it it is, it is. And that's why I love it though, because it is, they broke down, but then they went into like other, cause there's like the Roman gods and they, or the Roman camp and it's the Iliad meets God of war. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's perfect. I'm, I'm okay with that because especially suddenly he's fighting the Norse gods now, and we're all okay with it. (laughs) Are we? (laughs) No. Because I saw that and was like, I'm listen. I'm a historian by trade. That that is what I was trained to do. I'm a cultural historiographer. That's what I went to uni for. Man, when I saw, Uh, I, I I share the passion, man. My mom's an anthropologist. Like, so you know when the. I'm not trying to shit on Rick Riordan. He's a great author. But when the Norse Pantheon came out or the books, I was like, yeah, no. Like I could tolerate the goofiness of the Greek gods and, and the Roman impersonations and whatnot. But like the Greek Pantheon is goofy in the first place, right? Exactly. It's supposed to be a little goofy. Exactly. Right? The Norse gods are not. <laughs> not no, until like, I mean, Ragnarok. I mean, read read the rites of Odin. Just read that and you'll understand that a lot of, I mean, but also we live in a culture, dude, that we celebrate Vikings and we forget that Viking, the Viking was an occupation. Yeah. Not a, like it was an occupation during the raiding season. Like, all right, here you go. Yeah, dude, it's, I can go on a tangent about that, but it is what it is. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about with the podcast and whatnot, but also like bringing back the lore aspect y'all mentioned you know a couple of shows and it's like i know for myself though as a homebrew world builder i love the world building aspect i've for sure taken from a lot of books and a lot of movies and a lot of you know things that are just subtly there and i realize oh wait a minute i can do that but from your podcast as you were saying it's you know you have to kind of script it you kind of have to do a bunch of things and especially like if you're playing like uh, a live play, so to speak, right? Or an actual play, rather. How do you balance the professionalism of a show that it has to be on a schedule with the insane amount of hours that you can pour into from a world-building perspective? Well, have a really we, strong friendship with your person who's helping with producing. Oh, my God. So Dan and I nearly... So there were some dark times. We did a, a series called The Deep Dark of Radiance, which was a nine-episode little mini-series called Cthulhu. Um, okay, that Dan sweet. ran and it yeah. was a lot of fun and um, we are in the midst of a sequel which got COVID interrupted and is going to continue this October and it nearly killed us. Dan and I were at each other's throats with it oh, because there, uh, there was one day where Adam and I were standing in my garage yelling at each other. Yeah, oh, we were both red in the face screaming over, you know, how much time and effort is are we willing to put into this um, and do we, you know, Yes, it's on the internet forever, but does how many listeners do we have even really? Is it worth the time and effort? Like Dan's getting two hours of sleep before he's got to go to work 
three nights in a row so that we can get the next episode out on time. And I'm sitting there digging through sound effects archives and I'll do the first run through of the edit. Yeah. You go in afterwards with my time codes and, and slot in the music. And we were like, we were angry about it. It's hard. It really is hard. It's uh, about one, one of the things I would recommend is define to yourself what you want to do. Hmm. Are you wanting to do an actual play a la critical role level streaming where there is very little editing? It is just what happens at the tables happens and everybody's got to be okay with that. So if, if someone's shitting in jars and leaving it at the Temple of Serenre, that's just going to be okay now. What, what we ended up doing was we came yeah. at it with some pretty heavy yeah. um, editing scissors, right? We Not left a friend. lot on the floor. And by the end of it, I mean, it was a radio play with dice. Yeah. And, and that, that's the decision we made where it was we are doing more radio play so we had lots of sound like if someone opened a door there would be a sound Footsteps effect of the door through opening the snow and, like and that, shit right? like so, that and i mean yeah. when you're hunting for that at four in the morning on a thursday and you got to go get to work in like three hours and stuff yeah. you don't have any tolerance there's no patience it pushes you to the limit and we were doing then we were doing correct me if i'm wrong three other episodes a week at that point as well yeah, besides that yeah. that was a big month for us and uh i think that, that was, month alone we had something like 26 releases in a month Damn. That was that was big. We've decided that we're not going to do that again without more editors on board. I'm bald because of that. Because <laughs> I yanked his hair out. I had a full head of hair. I had like luscious. Lu no, I mean I, I have kids. They, the hair was gone long before. But, but, <laughs> but, but was, you're saying this production took the last of it. <laughs> yeah, we uh we really ran up against our limits. Understanding your scope is important, um, but also communicate with your players ahead of time off yeah. camera away from the mics, tell them outright that you're going to do your best to be as descriptive as possible, but there's going to come a point where we have got to just move forward with the story. If they have questions, go ahead and answer them. But if the answers are short and abrupt, that's probably a signal that we have to move forward. Yeah. When we are doing pod, like our regular episode for our, our regular podcast, we're sitting there trying to make it so that the editing process isn't as long as possible. Yeah. Really trying to, to work that down. So Dan and I are sitting there talking. And of course, Dan's captain lore when it comes to everything Forgotten Realms. And he'll be waxing poetic about some city up in the frozen north. Well, you see, in 10 towns, a third town is called, and I'm sitting there going, let's go, man. Let's do this. But I want to talk about Bremen. Yeah. And so, and we will go back and forth. Or I will go off on a tangent. That's see, there's something that we learned the hard way with our podcast. Mm -hmm. If you go back and listen to some of the early episodes, we should have cut stuff. We left stuff in that is not just off color, but is off putting, yeah. right? Because we were just, our whole premise back then was we're your friends, we're guys hanging out in the basement, drinking beer, shooting the shit. We were not aware of who our audience was. And there's entire cold opens that we do a little 30 second blurb before the opening credits that are 17 minutes long going off about inappropriate rated R shit. Right. And, and we have now refined and figured out yeah. and talked and, and it's a process. It is it, a process. It, yeah. It's all, you're always evolving. Right. And so, yeah. and it's, it's just like being a dungeon master, right? I have no idea what's going to happen in three sessions from now. True. I know who the bad guy is. I know what the world is. I know what the lore is, but I don't know what the encounters are. Yeah. I mean, I, I hear that. And I think also you, as, as you've been speaking, you brought something up um, that at least resonated with me is that 
the process is always being refined. So for the folks out in there in the audience who, you know, maybe have been feeling called to start a podcast within this hobby or within any other hobby, right? If it's magic or Pokemon or, you know, anime or whatever it may be, or just something completely different, the process, you're always going to refine yourself. You're always going to come up at this stage in your life where you'll say, okay, I have the desire and this inspiration to start. So you start and then 10 episodes in, you're kind of like, okay, cool. I've made 10 episodes. Awesome. Let me hear these episodes. Oh, I need to change this or, oh shit. I realize that I'm mumbling a lot or whatever it may be. And uh, then you start. Yeah. One of our hosts, Dave, love that guy to death, known him forever, but man, does he go before every time that he speaks and I could kill him that. And me, uh, yeah. I, I halter when I speak. Yeah. So like they'll, they'll, I have ums and I have these little vocal tics, which in conversation normal is fine. If, yeah. but when you're listening to my voice for the 10th hour, um, I, I, I think that's where Adam's eyebrows went. Um, so <laughs> damn <laughs> GG, bro. Yeah, no, it's, it's one of the things, if you're going to do this with friends, especially if you do this with other people, uh, you are going to be hearing a lot, especially if you're involved in the post-production, you're going to be hearing a lot of other people's voices. Yeah. So you have to go into it with some grace because, yeah. um, both from a editor's perspective and a performer's perspective, because if you're not going in with grace, um, you, you come to the people who have like weird mouth ticks or weird vocal ticks whenever they speak that they're completely unaware of until you're listening to them recording. And you have to be not only okay with addressing that, mentioning it to that person, be like, Hey, you do this thing. Let's try to cut that back. Um, but you also have to be okay with accepting the fact that you do a weird thing and, trying to cut that back just for audio quality. Cause like we said earlier, it doesn't matter how good your video quality, how good your, you know, CGI intro is right. Um, if you, if your quality, if your audio quality is not good, you've lost interest. Yeah. That's you've true. got like this is what Terry says. You have three and a half seconds to hook an audience member. Yeah. And you have your entire life to lose them. So that's watch right. your, watch your quality. Right. One of the other things that we started to focus on for our quality and we started to do recently is have mission statements for episodes, right? So that we, we all know we're on the same page. We're going to do an episode about, I think, what was one that just came out? Icewind Dale. We mm. knew that we were going to get into lore, but we're not going to give a breakdown of the book and mm. whether or not you should buy the book. We're going to focus on fifth edition and we're going to talk a little bit about previous editions, but we're not going to do a deep dive into what Dritz was doing up here way back when. Right. And so we sit down and we focus on for us, we're all about exciting and, and inspiring people. Right. Yeah. It's not about telling jokes. It's not about we're not one of these rank the top five aberrations on the and the moment that we Behold figured it. out we weren't doing shows like that, we had a direction and it's helped us immensely. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so that way when we're doing our editing process and we hear Dan go off about Bremen or Adam's going off about whether or not like, do you think the Princess Leia had glue for the bikini or like what's going on with that? Right. And so we know, all right, cut that. If it's funny or insightful, toss it after the end credits. Otherwise, just cut it. Just get it out of the episode. Right. If it's longer than a minute. Yeah. Cut it. That's so. some, and that's something like for myself to kind of just share my experiences where it's glue, I, right? That's your experience. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, 
for the podcast aspect of it, most of the time it's, there are some edits that have ums and, you know, long spaces and whatnot, but the content itself is just raw. And the reason being is because I get to have these awesome conversations with folks where a lot of times the purity of the podcast is the, 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 the purity of it is found in the chaos, right? Yeah. It is something. And plus I'm all, I'm the only one editing everything. So I've taken this, this, this season of saying, okay, like a lot of folks out there are also used to these actual plays, right? And they're great. I love actual plays, but I'll be honest with you. My homebrew world, I'm just not ready to share it in that regard just yet. Oh, I hear you. I hear you hundred percent. It's vulnerable, man. It's vulnerability. Like I'm, I'm building my homebrew world right now, specifically for running. It's a mimic actual play stuff right now. And there are aspects to it where I'm just like, ah, okay. Yeah. My, the thing is, man, like I've been running the same campaign now for about six years. That's incredible. Like one to 20, have you, are you a slow progression? Or are you in the same, like different characters or different what's characters? Going? So the way I run things and I joke around about this with Ray from uh, Got DM because he, he's a very close friend of mine. Yeah. When I started my campaign, so when I started world building and homebrewing, I was like, okay, this would, I kind of want to do this as a book. I was like, all right, I'm, I kind of had the bug. Um, and then I was like, why am I doing this as a book i'm gonna i want to play dnd like it just all kind of hit because my my wife was like you need a hobby because i was just really (laughs) stressed at work and she was like you need a hobby man and i was like all right i'll choose an expensive hobby aka dnd so i can just collect minis and you know fill the room with okay thanks bye you know like i did that at least it's not warhammer right (laughs) (laughs) one of my players one of the original players spent forty thousand dollars on his army well, that's what it says right in the title, right? 40K? Yeah, so that that's essentially, basically, if you're getting into Warhammer 40K, expect to spend 40K on your army, just saying. Pretty much, yeah. On the books, on everything. I, I, as as I, someone who 40K tournaments, you're not wrong. Yeah, I miss, I miss the days where you could literally take trash and make something out of it and people, and like at Warhammer tournaments, and they'd be like, oh, cool, nice job. Oh, I, I play orcs specifically for that. Mm-hmm. Like... Uh, I I go and find like the grungiest pieces of garbage land raiders and I I loot them and like that's that's what I do but that's 40k that's that's and I haven't played that in three years so hey yeah and uh don't get me wrong I've bought a couple of uh Warhammer like Age of Sigmar boxes because I love the sculpts there but you know and plus great inspiration for my world building which then like you know my OG players I had, they played, they kind of started in the age of creation and the age of calamity and then initiated the age of heroes. My second group, which was, you know, about two or three years, they took the majority of it, played the age of heroes and beyond. And that it kind of ended up poorly just because with the pandemic and everything and politics and stuff like that, which one of the one of the, like one of the rules that I have at my table, which for for folks out there, if you're gonna do a live stream or if you're going to do an actual play, or even if you're gonna do a home game, you need to have a set of rules, golden rules, so to speak, of things that you're not gonna talk about at the table. 
it's bet in my opinion and from what I found, it's best to leave the it's best to leave those topics outside of the game. We do right, that on so, our podcast too. At the top of every one of our breakdowns, mm-hmm. I have one in front of me. Give me one sec. It Go says, um, "Respect your co-hosts, even when teasing or disagreeing with them. Not every opinion needs to be disproven." That was a note for me. And avoid opinions, commentary, and judgments about political parties, religious beliefs, creed, race, sexuality, gender identity, and disabilities. Yeah, it, it's respect, man. Yeah, don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that rule was not that rule was not necessarily managed in a great way uh, by some of my OG players, and it just broke up the. It, it just sorry to hear. You know, it is. Look, it happens to the best of us. It it it, it does. And the reason I bring up Ray is because I had multiple players in different parts of the world that interacted and would influence one another. Right. So, like, I had a group of players that their characters right now are influencing a part of the world that they're now npcs but they're influencing a part of the world and now my current group of players need to go intercede and do some stuff so again it brings up perspective and all that but i bring up ray because i remember when i was telling him about it you know during one of the podcasts he was like oh yeah dude i've been doing that for like 28 years i'm like well shit i thought i wasn't Man, I thought I was doing something <laughs> cool, man. Kicked a rock and I was, you know, I was looking out at the rain, you know, the depressing, you know, that scene. But um, when it comes to that, though, like, I just, I don't know, I have some adamant rules about that. And I have rules about when it comes to like editing in the podcast and all the technical stuff. And just to kind of recap everything, I feel like some of the core rules and agree with me or not, but it's like communication, dungeon masters and players, please communicate with one another, not only about the game in the regards of, okay, what class am I playing? What's your background? What's this? Have multiple sessions zeros if you need to figure that out, but talk about the rules, like know this, no, you know, don't be a dick. Don't do this. Let's not talk about that. Or, Hey, if you're going to do this, share the spotlight, right? So have, communicate those rules. One of the things we've done is we've also said, you know, this campaign will likely discuss subjects like let's take body horror for mm-hmm. an example, right? Um, and we have a player who just really doesn't like teeth, right? So, teeth? so like they, teeth. Yeah. Okay. Teeth. She she's got a weird phobia about teeth. So gnashing jaws and teeth. So she has asked specifically, "Hey, could we keep the mouth stuff to a minimum?" And we're like, "Yeah, sure, cool." Because that's that the kind of stuff you talk about in your session zero. Yeah, it's you talk about the triggers. You talk about the you got the red and the black list, as I like to say, the red list is the mm, you're teetering on some stuff now and then the no list just the nope we're not talking about it yeah. fade. We're, we're gonna fade like we're fading to black as they say like nope none of yeah, that yeah look I, i've run games where i am role-playing an npc that's had a romantic relationship with one of the the players there's a point where we fade to black yeah. there's also a point where it's just you know what nobody else at the table cares we'll take this to midweek we'll do this in a chat later yeah. Right, where and it's not, I don't mean like the sex side of it, but I mean, like, you want to go on a date? Yeah, sure, we can figure out what a date looks like in you know the homebrew tavern that we've made, right? Yeah, so, of course. So, I, I'm all for that stuff, and I don't want to limit anybody, dude. No one's asked me out on a date in my DD world, they've always well, tried to like wine and dine me, but no date. Do what I did and just get a harem of dwarves, 
and one goblin prostitute that was very in. Hey, hey, I rebutted her over and over. And it didn't matter. Nope, it didn't. She was um, <laughs> but, but we had, uh, we look, there are limits. Yeah. Everybody's got limits. I like your idea of the red and the black. The red is proceed with caution. The black is never ever. Yeah. Right. And um, I, I'm, I'm that way about like, there's some topics you can't, you can't talk D and D without slaves. Slavery is just yeah. the underdark. Everything in the underdark is slavery in today's political climate. That is a trigger word, a hot button topic, and it's difficult to get into. So that's a red list for me. Yeah. Right. But at no point do I ever need to include sexual violence in my game. That's a black no, list. No. Right. And so, and we just had two session zeros in a row and I was very clear. Here are the limits. What else is not on the table? Yeah. And even if you think that it is a foregone conclusion, bring it up anyway, especially in public games when you don't know these people outside of D&D, you don't know what they're going to want to bring in to the table or what their lack of judgment you don't know if they're drinking a beer in front of their discord server right and they've kind of lost their judgment for a minute there having these hard and fast rules are really really important and it sets yeah. up that skeletal structure to be able to protect yourself and your players yep. um, and the other people around the table from things so that you all know the guidelines you all yeah. know what the and, flesh and, of this game is built off of and yeah. at the very worst if someone crosses that line and you've got to boot them, you as the dungeon master or as the other players, if everybody takes a vote or however it works, you're not sitting there afterwards going, am I the asshole? No, you you set up those boundaries earlier. Yeah, right? yeah. that's why I have a Google Doc, dude. I have a oh, Google yeah. Doc that says, because before you join the Discord, you have to go to the Google Doc and agree. You have to consent to everything, right? Because how I run it, and again, I took I took this page out of Ray's book, because Ray was like, dude, you should actually, he actually was the one that recommended it to me. The way I play with my work schedule, have a text-based channel in my discord so that even if you just want to, you just role play in it, you role play in the laughing mimic Inn. that's the name of the tavern. Um, I approve. Yep. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, there, you know, there are rumors of that tavern, but that's another, <clears throat> that's for another episode, but um, the Laughing Mimic Inn, it's a place where players go to role play with NPCs and with one another. And it's a great way to use it as a starting point for your adventure to gather other adventures and then kind of go into your pods. Or if you want, you can just stay there and role play the hell out of your character with anyone else. Because I know that schedules and time are crazy. Yeah. But before you even do anything, and this is a recommendation I have for the audience, um, create that Google Doc. Discord's free. Google Docs are, I'm pretty sure, like the base one is free. Yeah. Create a Google, uh, a Google Doc, and there you go. This is what you got to do. Because also, if you ever want to turn your game into a live stream, that is a, it's, it's, it's almost like a binding contract. Now, I'm not a lawyer or anything, but that can act as the basis for a binding contract where you would agree to do X, Y, Z. Because let's be honest, how many streams are are, are out there, right? There's a, there's a, there's plenty hundreds. of streams, yeah. hundreds. I would even say there's upwards to like a thousand. Let's like streams and live plays and, and, and actual plays. You don't want, especially in the age of the internet and coming from my day job as someone in information security, like that shit's lasting on the internet forever. Yeah. Like you're, you're done. 
you want to make sure that you secondarily cover yourself, but primarily you don't ever want to say something that burns someone from a group. And then now you put the bad taste in their mouth to playing tabletop games. Cause that can happen. I mean, I've seen, I've seen plenty of streams that the dungeon master, I'm not going to say who, but the dungeon master role played something and it was not classy and it was really shitty like that. It was a low blow. One of the things that, that turned me off of live streaming um, altogether was I was watching a, um, a live stream through someone in the Instagram community who's no longer active. So I feel comfortable bringing it up. Um, but he was sitting there playing an effeminate bard character. And it was the most flamboyant and offensive thing that I have ever mm. seen. And he said, well, all elves are just like this. Yeah. Okay. That may be true in your homebrew world. But that's not like canon. But don't put that out on the internet, right? There's going to be new players. There's going to be people out there that's going to get triggered by by that level of, of, look, look, there is shit out there that exists in D&D that is rated R. It's hard to have a conversation about 3.5 half orcs. It's difficult to have a conversation about incubi and succubi and the you know what happens with drow, yeah. right? There are there are a lot of really touchy subjects out there. Love potions. Mm, there's a lot of enchantment there that can be really not cool. You need to yeah. know what the boundaries are, and if you're going to run a, a live stream. You need to rein that back in. We use it like movie ratings. It, like, is it going to be rated G, PG, PG-13, or R, right? At, I, I never need to be at a table that's rated X. I just don't. It doesn't interest me. But I don't think I would want to be there. No, man. especially not with Dan. But the, Oh, damn, GG, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We tend to run PG-13, but, yeah. I mean, my group, our group, Dan, loves horror. So gore and violence is to, we're ripping out spinal columns and we're like, we're going over the top with it. So you're going doom on us, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? Oh, it's but ridiculous levels, yeah. Doom, Diablo, you know, I get you. But that's okay. And we agree on that ahead of time. But that's the thing though, you that you said it, you agreed upon it. It was, there was a, there was a consensual decision to say, this is what we're doing. Um, and I feel like sometimes and for the folks out there, like you may want to do something to get a like or do whatever, or you may want to, you know, kind of intrigue the audience. But to be honest with you, you don't really need to do that. I actually think that for the dungeon masters who do that, I, I you know, that cringe level, you know, I don't know who the dungeon master you're referring to, but if for them to do that, I personally think that that's poor DMing. Don't get me wrong. I, I do a lot of impersonations. I run another show with my best friend and he's my DM um, called Couch Play Games where we play on the couch together, you know, virtually, um, but we play video games. So we do impersonations of like celebrities and of yeah. different like, you know, the Honey Badger skit, like we were doing it because we've known each other for gosh, like 12, 13 years. Like I'm the godfather to his kid. Like we're brothers essentially, like we yeah. are close. So we, one, know each other and we know what the limit is. Two, yep. everyone knows that couch play games is a comedy video game genre. It is us playing video games and us talking about nerd stuff. We're, we're just making fun of stuff. We're doing celebrity impressions. We're yeah. doing um, like, we're, we're doing a bunch of stuff. 
But when it comes to D&D, because he also has D, uh, Behold the D&D podcast, which is a lot, an, uh, a, an actual play. Again, it's consensual. We know what we're getting ourselves into. There have and, we, yeah. It's yeah just, and, and it's a level of familiarity that you can't mm-hmm. take for granted with your random audience member, right? True. Like Dan and I will rip on each other all day long, but if somebody yeah. else rips on Dan, I will come to his defense. Yep, same here. Right? That, that's, Every, yeah. Everybody just defend me, please. I got you. So it, it's uh, <laughs> you, you really have to be aware and it's important even so that's another thing that that we did with our Call of Cthulhu actual play. Okay, so one of the things that we do is we look at what are people not doing out in the community, mm-hmm. right? And we try to fill those those gaps like our campaign builder. We are building all of the sessions and when we have one built one. an entire campaign worth, yeah. we will then play through it. That is one nice. of the things we want to do because nobody sees the theory crafting and then the gameplay, right? So so that's one of the things that we wanted to get into. Um, call it Cthulhu actual play, right? Especially yeah. when we started them. Um, and so we wanted to dig into it. But we had to sit down and talk to people about the idea that in the Lovecraftian lore, hey, Lovecraft was a hardcore racist. So we're not getting into that shit. And B, yeah. there's um like a lot of blasphemy in the name of God and Christianity is a major factor. And we have both devout Christians and vocal atheists at the table. And so we had to reconcile that. That was a huge three page document that I built up and I'm like, these are the rules, right? So we will not, when we're talking about Jesus on the crucifix is bleeding from the butthole. That is not Jesus, capital J that's Jesus lowercase J because this is a, alternate reality we're not going to get into the merits of the catholic church in reality compared to what's going on in our world and we had to really pull that those two ideas apart and separate them just so that we could have everyone around the table feel comfortable for myself like as someone who is a practicing catholic like there's a lot of things for me personally um there's a lot of things that are are happening in the church and that's happened and that and it breaks my heart to hear, because I know a lot of the things that have happened. And again, that's that's a whole different episode because I also understand and know, like having grown up in the church and still in the church where I can differentiate where it's like, okay, there are really messed up people. And there's a, and, but they'll so like, and this actually ties in perfectly with D&D because as a dungeon master and as someone in the hobby, you know that there are people in the hobby that don't represent what the hobby stands for, just like in religion or in spirituality, faith, whatever. Like there are people who don't represent what the core of the religion is or of the belief system. And what I, and, and that's something though, and you mentioned about familiarity. Like if you're playing in a campaign, you know those things about one another. You know, hey, this is a trigger. Oh, hey, you know what? Let's not talk about this. Or hey, like we have deep knowledge on this. We can um, not balance each other, but we can complement each other. Yeah, yeah. Right. And you know that, and you can kind of work on that. So that's another thing that folks need to consider. Like not only, you know, it all goes really back to communication. You have to communicate all these things because granted, technicalities, logistics, they are tangible things that you can actually do, right? Like I can buy a certain microphone that's really good for recording. I can buy a camera like a Logitech, again, cheaper, but, you know, decent. I'm only saying that because that's what I use right now. So, you know, it is what it is. But those are the things you can resolve easily. Need a better mic, whatever. But if you mess up the the intangible, the things that, you know, the, 
Because if you communicate something, what I'm trying to say is you might hurt a friendship. Yeah. You hurt the friendship. You you just messed up what D&D is about. Yeah. And you got to keep in mind, too, that D&D is personal for everybody. Right. Yeah. It gets to the point when you're no longer a novice and yeah. you've been playing a character for long enough or you've been at a table with other players for long enough that this is personal for you. Your creative juices, your muse has gone into this moment. Mm-hmm. And if other people are going to undermine, take that away or make you feel invalid in any way then you're not having fun anymore but nobody knows that that's what you had set up in your head because you just have stats and numbers on a piece of paper and the way that you talked to that goblin two sessions ago right and that's everything that that is informing their role playing yeah and you got to remember it's the same way for you you don't know what's going on in their heads we've got a brand new campaign starting up on sunday actually in two days for us um, that i'm dming and i have two princesses with alternate like kingdoms that are in the group dan's like this is um but megan yeah so I, I, but i've got two in the group that um are going to be at odds they come from very different kinds of kingdoms different they, cultures and whatnot i assume yeah and yeah. it's going to be um each one of them has a a my precious character backstory mm-hmm. already set up okay the same way that dms get a my precious story perspective already set up and when that doesn't kick off or it gets disrespected by someone else or we get the, well, I'm the real princess and you're not a princess, right? When it's that level of crap, mm. there's no room for that at the table. And if yeah. there's, if you want to role play that, that's what out of character conversation is for and communication yeah. is to say, hey, let's be frenemies for a little bit. We'll do the Legolas Gimli thing for the first four sessions and then yeah. become friends. Dan and Terry did that in the last campaign where they were both, they both had levels of rogue and it was a pissing contest for the first handful of sessions, but who could out rogue the other? And then they became friends, right? But they knew it at the time. There yeah, no it's, it's developed. It's, it's, a, yeah. It's, it's written out, so to speak. And that's, and that's the thing. I think there's a huge difference between, there's a huge difference between the, um, the professional live plays and, and, and actual plays because your players and the dungeon master, the game master, you have all discussed what's going on. You may not go into detail about character, you know, character backstory, because obviously you want to have some sort of, you know, organic growth and mystery to that, but there's still communication. That's the make it or break it. If you communicate with one another and you communicate all the things, whether it's in-game, out-of-game, technical, you know, non-technical, you communicate it. That's going to make your podcast or whatever very successful compared to the ones that say, well, I'm just going to let whatever happen and go from there. At least that's my opinion. Because again, I don't, you're, I don't have an actual play, you know? Yeah. Our actual plays have been very, very scripted in the past. Okay. And they've been very contained and we have production meetings ahead of time. That's the other thing too, about critical role. I love what critical role has done for the game. I hate what it's done to expectations of dungeon masters. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't do voices. I don't, when I DM, I will describe what the voice sounds like and then okay. use my own voice because I'm not, man, I run, I run eight hour sessions <laughs> right there. And yeah. with hundreds of NPCs, there are only so many voices I can do. Um, so it's um, also, he's a professional voice actor. That's his, exactly like that. What, what a lot of folks don't realize, or rather, I don't want to say don't realize. Cause I feel like that's a little harsh. I just think they take it for granted. Yeah. yeah. That's a better, that's a, that's better way to approach it. We as audience members sometimes take for granted, unless you're in the space, that there's production meetings, that there's scripts, there are, 
you know, and I'm not shitting on anyone. They are a professional level stream. They are the ones who really said, hey, we're going to create this thing called, a, you know, an actual play live D&D stream, even though Acquisitions Incorporated was actually one of the first like ones to yeah. do it. But they are all professional actors and actresses and whatnot. <sighs> They, you know, Matt Mercer is a G when it comes, and I'm not just saying it's kiss ass or anything. No, like, you know, I'm a fan and I appreciate what he does, but I also understand like he's a G, like he knows how to do this. And there's a reason why they're a company. There's a reason why, you know. Well, that, that's the other thing too, is they've got rules because they got money. There's yeah. money being thrown at this production that random Joe Blow in a basement is not going to be able to, to actually Gosh, throw money no. to that degree. And when they do, they don't have the experience or the team of checks and balances to make sure that that money is spent appropriately on content that yeah. is going to pay off in the way that people are expecting it to. Well, right? that's a that's the thing, man. Like, you know, before they left and did their own thing, they're with Geek and Sundry. We all know yep. that. But Geek and Sundry had, you know, legendary productions money, you know, being fueled in. And when they started doing this, again, I love the first season of Critical Role. Great. It was awesome. But that's when you started seeing like the collaborations between them and D&D Beyond, them with Dwarven Forge, and then with other companies, uh, with Wizards of the Coast later on with, uh, you know, that's how they got into Exandria and Wildmount. And then yep. they got into their, they had their fifth edition compatible, you know, Exandria. Um book or module you can say or campaign guide it's kind yeah, of a it's mix of and, West and wild Mount, yeah yeah it's a little mix of everything but later on when they broke away from geek and sundry i mean man they had a huge kickstarter just like colville colville had a huge kickstarter with his stuff but critical role had a really big kick i mean i remember seeing the numbers and i was like multi-million okay yep. and then they got that amazon money again not saying anything i don't think they've sold out I think some people no. believe that. I don't think they, they, no. I think what they did is that they became smart. They are not that they became, they were smart about how they approach things. They, well, that, that's, that's, that's honestly, that's, that's the gift of us. The three of us being content creators, we kind of see, we see the approach of things like critical role from a slightly different perspective, right? Like I've we're got, not got, just fans of the content. Correct. I've got a player at my table. He is 20. Mm -hmm. And he has seen every episode of Critical Role. He's watched season one, campaign one, twice, front to back. He's up to date. He sets Damn. aside Thursday night to, to consume his content. He absolutely loves it. He sat down at our table for the last 12 sessions of a huge multi-tier campaign. And he was a little bit removed, right? He was sitting in so that we had a fleshed out party. But he was expecting to sit down to Critical Role. And I felt the Mercer effect. Yeah, right? I was getting, hey, everybody have fun tonight. And at three out of my four players like, yeah, that was great. Another great session. And then this one new guy was sitting there going, well, it wasn't, wasn't what I was really looking for. I kind of wanted there to be, can there be sound effects maybe next time? Or maybe maybe play a little bit more music in the background. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not critical role. Don't, yeah. don't expect me to be. And right? the thing is, though, is like we, like we said, professional voice actors, professional dungeon master, I mean, at that level, he is like the professional of he's the professional. gold standard, right? Yeah. yeah, he's the golden standard right now. He's the professional dungeon master. Like 80, I, mean, I would say 60% of how they make money is from, I mean, I know they're a private company, so it's not like they have shareholders, but they have investors. They've got an entire business structure to them. Exactly. When you have a business structure, a business plan and everything there, 
yes, it doesn't matter if they're a private company or a public. The only difference is like they're not a public company. They're not publicly traded on the mark, uh, you know, on the stock market. They're a private company with investors and everything else. Those investors, just like in a public company, they're the shareholder, right? You know, they're the ones that say, hey, do this, do that, or, you know, you can go whichever direction and we're going to invest. You know, they have to do all that business stuff. But aside from that, they're professional actors and actresses. They know when to listen. They know when to respond and react, but they also like, Matt Mercer knows when to do certain things because he is, he's got that mindset, right? He knows how to describe things so that his act, the fellow actors that are waiting for the response, right? They're waiting for that response from a, maybe a sound effect that, that there's a, it's just a whole different level. It's a whole different level. And the other thing to keep in mind as well is I wish that people would look at the players instead of Matt Mercer. Matt Mercer is, is he's upper echelon. We said that For gold sure. standard, however you want to say it. I don't want to talk about Matt Mercer because everyone talks about Matt Mercer and I have nothing new to add. The man's a genius. We can leave it at that. Yeah, but look at the players. Yeah. They listen, they interact, they yeah. respect each other. No one's hogging the spotlight. Nope. But most importantly, they trust their dungeon master who has earned that trust yep i I want i want to point out the thing about critical role that will always blow my mind is that is a seven player party yes yeah and when you're listening to it doesn't feel like it i know i've run tables with seven players and that's a goddamn nightmare seven players here it's not fun sometimes y'all no and like if you have players that are trying to steal the spotlight every moment they get a chance to like it's a nightmare and the players of Critical Role are just as worthy of praise as Matt Mercer of being able to sit down and 10%. Yeah, that was the point I was trying to make is we should be emulating them. Yes. And and their ability to be respectful and to be good co-conspirators almost, collaborators yeah. with him. Because that's what you need around the table to get the most out of it, right? I'm facing a six-person party here on Sunday for the first time they ever. And, and you know what? You want to know what my answer is? Longer sessions. We're doing it on Sundays so we can do four to nine, right? Minimum yeah. five-hour session yeah. so that yeah. everyone will have the opportunity to shine. I can't do six people for two hours on a Tuesday night. Yeah. And that's the thing. Um, you, you know, here's a, actually, this may be, this statement may be a little, little bit of a summary. If you want a good live stream action, whatever, if you want a good D and D game and you want to emulate someone, emulate all the players of critical role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At, at, at the end of the day, you, you as a player, if you improve yourself as a player, your dungeon master is going to respond to that because I'm sorry. There are, I mean, there are piss poor dungeon masters and game masters out there for sure. But 80% of dungeon masters, this is, and again, 80% of dungeon masters, great. Like they're good people. They're good folks. They, they have a heart for it. 10% piss poor, 10% like phenomenal. I'm talking about like upper echelon, right? But that 80%, every dungeon master game master out there has a love for their players has a, a heart for the game and has a heart for storytelling. But you can make them better by being a better player. Because if you're a better player, then they have something to work with. They don't have to pull teeth, so to speak. But more importantly, they know that you are invested in the game. Yeah. A lot of times dungeon masters like myself, if my players aren't invested in the world, 
it breaks my heart because I've worked for hours on this thing. And I had something very similar to you, man, where you, you know, where one of my players said, well, this isn't critical role. And I was like, well, thank you. Game's, my game's not going to be critical role. Like this is a copia. Like this isn't Exandria. Ironically, most of the worlds I know that I play in start with an E. So oh, I don't know what that's about, but you know, it, the, and it's not, and you know what dungeon masters, if someone says that to you, it's okay. Accept it. It's it's okay for you not to be this. You're as long as your players are having fun, and if your players are involved, you've won. That's, that's one of the things I like about what they're doing right now with this summer, where they've got a Berea doing the Exandria yeah. Unlimited. Me too. She is she is a far more accessible level of DM. I'm not saying she's a bad DM. I'm not saying she's. Uh, I, I I have no issues with what Abria is doing. But like, it's great to see Matt Mercer step away from the DM thing for an extended period of time I'm because it's giving people a, a variety of DMs to look at. I'm glad he's a player because one, he's letting the spotlight shine on others. Yeah. Not that he intended that to happen in the regards of like, oh, I'm taking the spotlight. No, you, you know this. If you're a forever DM, you just, you get stuck with, that's, that's the reason why you're a forever DM. You get stuck with it and you get, yeah, like, you know, but I'll be honest. I'm glad to see him as a player because now we, you know, maybe that will show folks, oh, that's, that's how players should, that's how I should be as a player. You know, let me kind of reverse engineer this. But yeah. like you said, it's not, it's, you know, her light as a dungeon master, in my opinion, is something that I can attain because it's, it's that, wow, that's a really great dungeon master game master. What are they doing that I can do? Because sometimes when you look at like a Matt Mercer, you're like, oh man, I can't achieve it. But that's why if you go to your player, if you go to the player, I can achieve what Travis does. Travis is, you know, one of the guys like, man, I would grab a beer with him and we'd, you know, probably talk shop and, you know, talk all this other shit. But like, I, I can connect with Travis a little bit more in that regard. And that's kind of how I reverse engineer everything. Yeah, I look at the other names that are out there. When you look at Matt Mercer aside, when you mm -hmm. look at Matt Coville, even Mike Merles, when you look at the web DM guys, Jim Davis and, and Pru. Oh yeah, I love those guys. Or uh, Brennan Lee Mulligan, who did, who did Fantasy High, right? And he's on yeah. College Chamber and stuff, right? When you look at these people that are out there, they're not there to be emulated because yes, you can learn from them. And believe me, I have. Every one of those people has taught me something including matt mercer but they're all a unique voice and we love them because they're a unique voice and yeah. you as a dungeon master will have your own unique voice so you got to embrace that and if you can see your players embracing it and you see that trust in them that's going to breed trust from the dm i'm not going to want to kill their characters off my adversarial dming my oh yeah i'll teach you flies out the window then they can trust me and yeah. now we can tell a story Yep. Right. And now we can build something amazing together. Right. And so it's all yeah. about the trust and listening. So you say communication, talked about respect, but I, and I would say the, the key thing about both of those, the common denominator is how well do you listen when it's not your turn, when it's not being like the narrative is not on you. The DM is not making eye contact with you. How well are you invested in the rest of the story? And if you're sitting there saying, well, I'm on Facebook till my initiative, order comes up yeah you're not doing it right bud you're not here for the story yeah. you're here to win D D, and you can't win D D. yeah yeah you hit the nail on the head 
like you like i love colville i i would honestly say like matt colville is one of the reasons i got back into being a dungeon master um, Me too. just the running the game series is phenomenal um web dm made it made me think about things that I never thought about and taking different approaches. But what you said about having the common denominator of listening, right? Something that there's a book out there for the audience members, um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's, it's usually like a personal development book and whatnot, but there's a part in it that says to, to speak and to listen to be understood. You don't say something to convince someone. You're saying something with the hopes that the other person will listen to understand you and vice versa. And I think that's a great way to kind of summarize everything. Yes, communicate. Yes, you know, be, you know, be that dungeon master or that player that really gets into it and invests, but listen, listen to that other party member when they are spilling their hearts out or their heart out because they're in a position as a, they're, they're role-playing a certain thing. Listen to them. Don't just be stacking your dice up to make like some pyramid or something like that. It's, it takes a lot, but it's a great thing. We spend a lot of time listening and getting in on the jokes that other people are making. Mm-hmm. When someone else is being funny at the table, we will listen and we will partake and get into it. It's a lot harder to listen when someone is having a quieter, more serious moment. And that is the sign of an invested player. Yeah. Um, we ran in our last campaign, um, we spent, oh God, what, a, a year, Dan, trying to find your character's adult daughter. And we found her under siege, pregnant and about to be overrun by the undead. And she died in Dan's arms at the end of that session. Mm. And Dan didn't didn't speak to me for 10 days afterwards. But the other players around the table were sending me messages afterwards saying, that was intense. I was like overwhelmed. I can't imagine being like going through that with my own character. And like the fact that they were so invested meant that I was doing something right. And it meant that Dan was doing something right. Just by the back and forth being engaging enough because we're listening to each other. Yeah, I think honestly Dan's reactions. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go for it. Go for it, man. Uh, Dan's reactions were more inspiring to me in the moment. And let me listen and react that's all my job is after the prep work is done when i sit down at the table i put dice in front of me i have my notes i listen and i react and that's all the DD players are doing what monster just jumped out of the shadows what did that npc just say listen and react but don't just listen to your dm listen to the other players too right collaborative storytelling yeah you're right man i think honestly i think that's a perfect way to kind of end this episode um the only thing i would ask is what's your schedule like i would love um for folks to kind of know what the uh podcast schedule is i'll post it also in the description and whatnot and just like as, as well as the links but when can folks um listen to your podcast uh we drop it on um podbean uh which sends it out to most podcast apps including right. spotify and apple podcasts on tuesday morning it should be there for your drive into work uh it usually hits youtube within 48 hours of that because we have to build the video for it as well nice um and we also have a bunch of random specials our tagline is the it's mimic podcast where you never know what you're going to get and it is because we drop random episodes at random times so it pays to subscribe yeah um and like if you wanted to we've got this thing and and it's part of our script is we've got like we'll say here's our release schedule. And then here's our, if you want to 
if you want to talk to us, you can find us at Spotify or, or like <laughs> these things. But like, um, we've got a subreddit that uh, we've got that's fairly active. I mean, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on uh, Twitter. You could get us through uh, our email if you want to send us other questions. Mm-hmm. One of those random episodes, we go through our mailbag question, uh, mailbag episodes. Literally, this is all part of the script that's running through my head right now, yeah. Yeah. which exactly. is creeping me out. Yeah, but uh we do mailbags where we have three d20 charts that we roll on and uh three of the dms whether it's me adam or terry or megan or dave or brad whoever's in the mix um we answer 20 questions basically word and our whole ethos behind that is we don't curate the questions in such a way where we won't answer some types of questions okay oh we answer literally everything much to dance chagrin I think in the first one, Dan, it was what's your favorite sexual position came yep. up. Yeah, like yeah, purple saxophone. Thanks, thanks for that one, Adam. Yeah, we just um, have some, some nasty <laughs> audience uh, uh, listeners, so they uh, they love this. It's Pepperina. We have Pepperina. <laughs> <laughs> but like, uh, I mean, the best way to get a hold of us is Reddit. If you want to get a hold of us, it's Mimic, um, and or through the email because we're we're we we check that fairly often. Okay. We are all old men. Uh, it, uh, well, we're all old people, really, because Megan's there. And Think uh, for yourself, so- Baldy. <laughs> some some so for me specifically then social media kind of scares me so if if you send me a message on instagram and i don't get to you for a while it's just because i'm afraid of social media so it could i mean it could be a mimic you never know it could yeah you never know <laughs> just saying but no i appreciate y'all for coming by and hanging out i'll be putting all those links in the description or in the bio uh, down below but thank you so much for hanging out with us i really appreciate it y'all um, for the folks out there listening thank you for listening and for your support and viewership it means the world to me um, if you are listening to this on a podcasting app go ahead subscribe and go ahead and um, leave us a five-star review those really help us but also it helps me kind of understand and know what y'all like um, if you're watching this on youtube or anything like that feel free to like and subscribe and whatnot. Most importantly, y'all, besides any of that, be kind and compassionate to one another, folks. Crazy times that we're living in, but you know what? As long as we're kind and compassionate to one another, it'll all be all right. Brian here, I appreciate Adam, Dan, I appreciate y'all for coming out and hanging out with us. As always, folks, keep gaming.